Welcome to the Clipper Chance Talking Tech podcast. We're at the Singapore FinTech Festival, and again, it's the largest FinTech festival. Um, and uh, we are lucky to have with you um, uh, a mix of our uh, FinTech experts around the globe in the Clipper Chance Tech Group to talk through what were the best bits, what are the key messages, and any predictions. My name is Paul Landless. I'm co-head of our Global Tech Group, and I'm joined by Jesse Overall in our New York office, with Stephanie Peacock in London, uh, William Wong in Hong Kong, and uh, Samuel Quek in Singapore. Also joining us is a special guest, Matthew Yi, who's Senior Legal Counsel at Comtor, um, who actually feature in the festival and. Matthew will talk about Contour. Matthew is one of our um, alumni, so thank you, Matthew, for joining us. Um, all of you have attended the first day of the festival, uh, and one of the big sort of launch announcements is Singapore's National Artificial Intelligence Program, which came out during the grand opening. That was very interesting. Um, Samuel, can I just turn to you uh, to kick off? You um, attended that. Um, opening with the Deputy Prime Minister. Um, what were the key messages? What did you take away? Right. Thank you, Paul. Under the first point, DPM Heng highlighted that technologies that can yield a step change may not be accessible to users at large as they are probably deep tech. He cited the example of artificial intelligence and NOVA, which is a collaboration between Singapore banks and local fintech firms that provides financial risk insights and aims to help financial institutions better assess companies' environmental impact and identify emerging environmental risks. Under the second point about creating the right market factors, he made a reference to climate change and on the ongoing COP26 summit. And, and, and what else was covered, Samuel? All right, so this leads us to the related point about introducing mechanisms to shape the flow of capital. Uh, he covered about carbon marketplaces with robust governance standards and an emphasis on trust that will cap catalyze investments in carbon sequestration projects and technologies. He raised the example of Climate Impact X, which is a Singapore-based exchange for high-quality carbon credits, and he calls it a promising solution in a fragmented and opaque carbon credit markets landscape. I think you attended the other segment with Tamasic, which is Singapore's sovereign wealth fund, who've been looking at various types of blockchain solutions. And I know Matthew, also you were on that as well. Samuel, what did you take away from that session? And I guess my key takeaway from this session was that the point raised by Darius and Kai was that there needs to be clarity of regulation for financial innovation to attract the new firms to set up here. Uh, Darius raised the example of China, where Chinese regulators were very progressive on their digital yuan, but very hostile towards the other speculative currencies by banning trades in this entirely. Yeah, that's Darius so, City, QCP Capital. They're, they're the sort of trading firm. M Matthew, did you pick that up as well? I did, and I really enjoyed um, Pradi's speech at Tomasek, and I thought, yeah. you know, something I'll talk about a little bit later is how much institutional support there is from institutions like Tomasek um, and the other, you know, central banks and regulators, and particularly coming from a startup background now, 
it it has a lot of encouragement for founders and, and venture funders that you know you have that support from um these bodies but yeah it was really excellent one of the other sessions i think you watched was looking at um a deep dive where you had um r3 on there richard brown um and i think he was talking about the need to engage institutional players and that actually dlc is not about disintermediation or replacing some of these players it's actually keeping them involved keeping them engaged and how to work with institutional players so it's so a real sort of paradigm shift that um dlt might actually be celebrating some of these institutional players in terms of their um past intermediary functions uh, i think that was a theme that came up quite a lot yeah absolutely and i think carl the ceo at contour the organization i was at, is he mentioned how difficult it is to build a proper network i mean you're disrupting hundreds of years of you know bank grasp on these type of networks so it's a day-by-day -day process and i think um but every day you're making more progress you know it's it's fantastic to hear the different perspectives you have some of the emerging technologies you have incumbents you have your regulators and i think it's an interesting melting pot of all the different opinions contour has a has a position on the building global dlt networks um, with r3 and mass and the innovation lab um i sat in on the decentralized financial products with uh sapendu mahanti who's the chief fintech officer at mass and then the, the CTO at Coinbase. Um, and as Sam Samuel was on the Tomasek partnership series, it was fantastic because they really dove into blockchain cryptocurrencies and, and what's the institutional view on that, um, as opposed to you know, your incumbents and, and from your startups. The biggest takeaway that I had was really that Web 3.0, that DeFi, that cryptocurrencies, that they're all here to stay. And it, it seems as though our incumbents now have come to the realization that you either adopt or you're going to be disrupted in some way. And I think when we talk about DeFi, Paul, it's you know, your decentralized financial products. So you're talking about um, open permissionless networks built on cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, DLT. And, you know, we're really moving away from a centralized power and having a single entity which owns a group of customers. We're moving to like this bottoms up, open, democratized community. And mm. it's, it's something that we're trying to build here at Contour. Um, everybody has root access to, to view, to write, to approve transactions. And I think it's the way that payments, it's how trade finance is slowly going that direction. You know, cross-border payments is one of those areas where this is absolutely um, going to be a game changer in that space. Um, but I, I really wanted to go back to, to Prati because it was it's really encouraging to see how Tomasek, their, their, their positive sentiment towards these type of networks. Um, Prati was talking a lot about how to scale the DLT network, which is something that we are trying to do at Contour. You know, the interactions that these networks have with regulators, the type of problems that you come up with, and ultimately what you're trying to solve, which is an inefficiency in the existing system. And I think the role of regulators is something that's we you really have to consider and i think singapore is very lucky we have very forward-thinking regulators in mass and the pdpa and the inda here and as i said before it gives a lot of encouragement to founders and to funders um, and to other mncs to really adopt those technologies in their in their ecosystem the other one i really thought was quite interesting was the fireside chat with with mass and the cto at coinbase and right there was a, a big 
discussion about, you know, what do policymakers do? How do you regulate these disruptive technologies? Because the reality is that the technologies overtake regulation much faster than you can write them. Um, and so they were having a discussion about that, you know, briefly. And it's it's a it's I don't think there is a proper answer to this, but the CTO, the former CTO proposed a really common sense approach, which is to, you know, have a grassroots approach, you know, talk to your founders, talk to the people who are disrupting it, you know, come into a common ground in terms of policy and legal frameworks, um, incentivize them and bring in the top talent into your country and your jurisdiction. Um, and, you know, going to Contour, Contour, it's just really encouraging to see that this is the position that your big institutional stakeholders have um, supporting you. And I think Singapore is really well positioned to capitalize on this opportunity going forward. Jesse, we keep hearing about this Web 3.0 concept. What, what is that? I think a lot of people think of Web 3.0 as uh, the convergence of a number of different technologies. Um, and I think a lot of people would say that decentralization and sort of um, the, the, the notion that uh, activities and teams and projects can be permissionless, um, access can be permissionless, and really opening up areas that used to be uh, subject to more sort of closed kind of walled garden or, or silo kind of concepts and industries, just bringing this sort of new permissionless decentralized, you know, people all around the world collaborating toward a common goal and forming a sort of shared community um, can, can, can really underlie some, you know, projects of, uh, that, that perform, you know, major functions in our kind of economy and commercial world. Um, and, and I think that that is, I, I, I think that, um, you know, that, that's definitely a major kind of component of what I think a, a lot of people would see as Web 3.0, although, again, obviously, because it's decentralized, I don't know if there is, you know, standard definition that every participant would agree on, but I think a lot of people would, would, would say that that's one of the, the sort of foundational tenets. And there's a lot of this energy around, to, to Matthew's phrase, democratization, this idea of Web 3.0 in terms of your data um, and your own identity being yours, but, but no longer being controlled in these kind of uh, mysterious permissioned groups, uh, this idea of this open metaverse, this idea of the possibility of, 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 of expanding um, the power of, of these networks and, and, and these kind of DeFi um, sort of products. And, and I think the same thing was coming through uh, on the other session, Jesse, that you, you that you attended with Kai Sheffield, but also Kevin Lim, who's at Tomasuk. Um, and I think you also had um, Eric Anziani, who's the, the, the COO at um, Crypto.com. Again, this idea of mainstream acceptance and this idea of a sort of open um, um, state now for, for the market. Definitely. It's, uh, you know, that, that was a, a really fascinating panel, I think, um, where, you know, the focus was kind of digital assets. And, you know, uh, Kai Sheffield was, was, was discussing, you know, the rise of kind of CryptoPunks and NFTs where, you know, mainstream users who weren't really into crypto before maybe, they, 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 they come to crypto because they're interested in, in art or, you know, music and, 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 and these kind of things. NFTs really represent a bridge between these two kind of different worlds. Um, and, you know, of course, as, as we're proceeding towards, you know, a, a future in the metaverse, I mean, these, these worlds will increasingly converge. But really, you know, what NFTs are a new tool and they, 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 they shifted the function of 
crypto wallets where you know maybe in the future they're not just a place to hold you know just to hold assets anymore they could be you know a place that uh you know people could come for the art you know set up the wallet and then they could discover their their favorite music through the the wallet app so crypto yeah. wallet has yeah. really become a super app stephanie i think you you also attended a session was that with the crypto.com chief exec stephanie what, what did you listen to yeah, that's right so um the session was asking about whether um you know how web 3.0 could attract the next billion crypto users and this was a session with as you say chris marzalak from um crypto.com and i think the nice. uh, the key message from that is actually that perhaps the title of that session had completely underestimated the potential of crypto and he was very keen to set out that that target's going to be met next year. And really, we should be talking about um, hitting five billion in five years. So his, <laughs> I think his whole um, session was actually really positive, talking about just the, the kind of the broad scope of different use cases for crypto going forward and how we needed to stop seeing them as, you know, being investments, things that people hold because they're thinking they're going to generate a return and looking at how they can be used for, you know, as we discussed earlier, you know, cross-border payments, how they can become much more mainstream in terms of, you know, retailers and merchants actually accepting them on a day-to-day -day basis as payments. Um, mm. And he also touched on just the great um, potential for blockchain gaming, which, you know, gaming is a, a sector that already has a huge online um, target market already so he was really positive about the growth in this sector and and also I think I was interested that they have a ventures arm and they'd made about 20 investments and had about 200 million that they're sort of just pollinating out to other businesses so, so they're sort of creating this wider crypto.com ecosystem to kind of facilitate those startups to really get airborne but yeah I thought the blockchain gaming was was, was fascinating and then the other point was this idea about the open metaverse uh, again, to continue Matthew's idea about democratizing um, um, the, the market and, and really taking Facebook on. And Stephanie, any other sessions you attended? Yeah, so I also attended um, a session that was looking at how financial services um, in the asset management sector um, will be impacted by you know, the new technology. Um, and actually, I think this session kind of picked up a few of the points that, um, you know, have come up on the other panels and I think the ones that I found particularly interesting were the discussion about how the technology can be used to make asset management especially in kind of alternative um, assets whether that's like private equity or real estate or things like crypto um, more accessible essentially to, to retail and I think the key message here was that you know there's been some progress and um, there are definitely more you know platforms that are available to retail to make those investments but I think particularly when you move outside you know traditional investments like securities there is a lot more kind of scope um, to develop that um, and I think um, there was a couple of points that were mentioned on that which were interesting I think one was um, more of a timing point I guess about how quickly this can all happen and the point was made about how there's currently um, a bit of a disconnect between where kind of savings are sat i.e with the older generations who are probably less tech savvy and potentially aren't going to be um, you know, using that those savings um, through these new technologies and then the younger generation who have much more of an interest but don't yet have the savings necessary and so 
just because of that factor, this might be a little bit slower to grow um, potentially um, than other kind of use cases. But I think that he, well, the other two points I think were interesting was the role that regulation can play. And particularly, you know, when we start talking about retail investors, they are generally much more conservative about their money. And actually knowing that they are using kind of technology and investing in areas that are subject to regulation gives them that comfort that actually this is something that they'd feel comfortable, you know, entering into. And then the final point that, again, I think is a common theme was actually this question about kind of incumbents in the market. So your traditional asset managers and these new entrants. And the question was actually really why hasn't the new entrants had the same disruptive effect that there's been in other markets? And I think potentially this generational point that I've just mentioned has some aspect here in that, you know, the older generations have the money and they're kind of a bit more committed to, you know, the incumbents. But the other point that he mentioned, which was interesting, was that actually a lot of the traditional asset managers are really interested in using this new technology in their own businesses. And actually there's a a real openness in a lot of those firms to partnering with these new entrants and actually really getting the benefit of their experience. And actually, Matthew made the point that, um, you know, traditionally these asset managers, when they were thinking about how do we grow our business or how do we change, they would go to a management consultancy. Whilst now actually the input they're looking for is actually from, you know, entrepreneurs and these tech startups, because that's actually where they're seeing like, you know, a real change in how they can do their business, which I thought was actually to go back to that earlier point about people working together and it's not just incumbents versus mm-hmm. new entrants, but a really nice uh, way to end that session. And just moving to, to Hong Kong, to William from London with Stephanie. William, you 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 watched the session with Ping An, and I think to Stephanie's point, Ping An was also talking about partnering with some of these startups and really supporting them and, and really investing in some of their products, I, I was blown away because one of the tools was in the AI space where effectively they've analysed lots of different retinal scans and then mm-hmm. have used the algorithm to, to come up with a sort of 97% um, accuracy as to how different types of um, retinal scans can, can correspond to potential um, diseases. And, and, and they said that, that all that technology was really from a small business that they've actually invested in and really tried to integrate into their day-to-day. For those who have listened to that session, you will have remembered that, uh, you know, Ping An also talks about, you know, other, you know, interesting developments and new pro- new use cases um, by uh, by AI. So, for example, they talk about, you know, uh, a very uh, much uh, streamlined uh, automobile claims process where, you know, in the past, you know, people I mean, in, in the insurance industry, one issue has always been the, the paying in the claims process where, you know, people have to, have to do so much paperwork in order to get their money um, via claim. And, and Ping An, what Ping An has done in China in particular is that, for example, in the op- automobile um, insurance space, they've now automated it pretty much in a way that people, drivers, can just take a picture, scan their damage yeah. in any car accident, and then the algo or the AI on the app will figure out okay what to fix, and then and they even give a, a settlement on the spot up to a limit. And clearly, um, Ping An uh, has done a lot in terms of you know and. Um, developing their their AI you know, in, in, in um, enhancing their services and they also mentioned that you know um, they, they, they have 
I think more than 30,000 you know, AI R&D engineers that, that they employ just to develop on it every day, on a daily basis, new ideas, new products in their service offering. That's so amazing. Me, that's really amazing. And, and speaking of that, actually, and besides that, you know, um, uh, insurance section that I listened to, I also listened to the other um, section on um, FinTech cybersecurity um, sponsored right. by PayPal. And, yeah. and before I move into what they have covered in, 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 in that section, one common theme that I have uh, um, identified um, from listening to these sessions, as well as a couple of sessions in the Hong Kong uh, FinTech Festival last week, was yeah. the issue around talent. Now, and, and this issue just comes up in every aspect of, 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 of the uh, tech or FinTech space, because at the moment, there is such a great demand for appropriate talent in the tech space. And, and you know, people talk about establishing the right ecosystem for tech and, you know, but, but a fundamental you know element of the ecosystem is is the right people the talent and 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 then with with that comes the question of diversity where where do these people come from actually you know to work in this space and so in in Pingan's case that they are able to hire you know and train the, the, the people in a massive scale but but in 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 the report that that PayPal did um from uh, partnering with a boutique firm and they have found that actually there is such a uh, shortage in, in, in talent in cybersecurity, in particular in the ASEAN region. And I think the numbers was that uh, there are 3,000 jobs, you know, in, in cybersecurity which are not filled because of the lack of talent. So I think this is, this is a space to watch. I think it is, it is, um, an important thing to look out for when we talk about the development in the technology, how do we at the same time also develop the people that actually run the technology and, and actually support the implementation of the technology? It's the same challenge that we have as lawyers, but Matthew, is that a issue for you guys at Contour in terms of how you're finding your talent and how you're thinking about risk issues around talent? I think COVID is a double-edged sword in the sense that it's brought upon rapid digitalization. But on the flip side, you know, at least for us in Singapore, we are limited geographically and it's quite difficult to get talent into the country. So on one side, we've had huge demand in the business. Scalability is no issue, but then it's very hard to just get visas for people to come across. Um, but even just responding on quickly to, to Stephanie, uh, Stephanie's point about adoption, I think these type of technologies, it's almost like when it, they're ultimately there to solve a problem. And I think if it's able to solve the problem, then I think adoption will pick up. Um, I think, you know, some of these concepts we're talking about were thrown around really easily a few years ago, and there really, really wasn't a bite to it. But now we're really starting to see some proper impactful um, products coming out of it. Okay, well, look, that brings us the end of episode one of this podcast with Clifford Chance Talking Tech. Thank you for joining us for this session. Thank you to all the speakers uh, who have joined us from around the globe. Um, our next episode will cover day two of the FinTech Festival, so please stay tuned. Thank you very much. Please subscribe to our podcast by visiting cliffordchance.com and follow us on LinkedIn. For more information on the latest legal trends and changes in the technology sector, please visit talkingtech.cliffchance.com. Goodbye.